Intersections, a podcast dedicated to interfaith discussion on issues that matter to our communities and to our world. Brenda Alford's grandparents survived the 1921 race massacre but lost their businesses, including a shoe shop as well as a record store, a dance pavilion, and a community skating rink. Alford said this in an interview on the massacre, I watched as my grandfather tried to restart the business in the 70s and was unable to do it. And we saw the effects it had on him. It was absolutely horrible. Our community, she said, was not able to pass on generational wealth. In Tulsa, after the smoke cleared and the insurance companies bailed, the people of Greenwood rebuilt. And then came the second massacre, only this one much more covert. It came in the form of construction codes, loan denials, redlining, and ultimately an interstate highway being built, splitting Greenwood in two. This is a very common tale, not only here in Tulsa, but across the nation, and not only from people of African descent, but also indigenous and native peoples, people of Japanese descent, scores of other peoples who've been impacted by the long reach and deep scars of white supremacy in our nation's history, and perhaps most impactfully, the economic weight of racism. I am a 52-year-old white male who has and will benefit from the generational wealth that my family has established over decades. Even from a very middle-class perspective, the benefits are huge, allowing my wife and I to send our children to college, for instance. The mechanisms in place for that to be thought of as natural to me, or simply good financial planning is a symbol of the kinds of systemic racism that exist within our culture. How do we repair such long-term deep wounds? And how do we restore true equity to entire sections of the United States citizenry? From a faith perspective, what is it that people who have benefited from such inequities owe to people who have been subject to those inequities? How do we offer sincere apology and, ultimately, atonement. Joining us today to discuss this issue and the impacts here in Tulsa are two very special guests. First, Counselor Vanessa Hall Harper, a Tulsa native and graduate of Edison High School, my kid's alma mater, Go Eagles. Hall Harper is a graduate of Jackson State University and Southern Nazarene University Tulsa, as well as Leadership Tulsa's North Tulsa Development Council, among other things. She's currently the program manager for the Tulsa Health Department's Healthy Living Program, adjunct professor at TCC in the Political Science Department, and has served as the representative District 1 on the City Council since 2016, always a fierce advocate for the community in many other ways as well. Currently, Hall Harper is promoting the Beyond Apology Framework for Public Engagement calling for a year of public meetings, including eight educational listening sessions throughout the city and the ongoing involvement of a city council working group, all aimed at developing opportunities for reconciliation and, yes, reparations in our city. Welcome, Councillor Hall Hart. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. We are also joined... We are also joined by Dr. Robert P. Jones, the CEO and founder of Public Religion Research Institute, PRRI, and most recently the author of White Too Long, The Legacy of White Supremacy in American Christianity and The End of White Christian America, both books addressing the needed work of truth-telling and repair 
in the healing from the legacy of white supremacy in the church and the nation. Dr. Jones holds a PhD in religion from Emory University, an MDiv from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and a BS in computing science and mathematics from Mississippi College. Before founding PRRI, Jones worked as a consultant and senior research fellow at several think tanks in Washington, D.C., and was an assistant professor of religious studies at Missouri State University just up the road in Springfield. Welcome, Dr. Jones. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So first, I think some terminology needs to be defined uh, because we sometimes hear different terms as if they're interchangeable, and they're not, but they are intertwined. So I'm thinking about terms like reconciliation, reparation, and then apology or making amends. Counselor Hall Harper, do you have thoughts on the terminology that gets used and which terms you prefer? Uh, I do. I do have thoughts. I, I want to be clear that uh, the beyond apology uh, conversations that you mentioned, uh, they are not reparations. Um, in fact, we... <laughs> As a society, certainly here locally, but even on a national scale, we don't know what reparations is because we've never experienced them. We've never had them. Whenever there was even a, a, an inkling uh, as far back as the 40 acres and a mule policies uh, that the federal government uh, had initially shown interest in doing, uh, that was reneged upon. And so um, what the Beyond Apology Conversations are is just uh, an approach to discussion uh, of the realities of what the long-term and, and current impact of, of the massacre, how, how those uh, resonate today. Uh, there was a report, as you know, uh, done 20 years ago um, that, was, that was funded by the state uh, legislature as it relates to the massacre, the Tulsa massacre in particular, that set out five recommendations. And, nothing really became of those recommendations. And so we want to start there in these conversations and then move forward uh, to even more uh, discussion uh, about, you know, what the realities of, of living in, in this city uh, and the equality issues that exist. And so I want to be clear about that. Um, there is a lawsuit that's pending um, that talks specifically about reparations, but uh, that that's not what this is. This is this is more so uh, discussions to be had that could very well ultimately uh, end or result in uh, a, a broader conversations about reparations. But I just wanted to be clear. I just wanted to be clear about that. Um, as far as the wording, uh, to your point, we use a lot of different words uh, synonymously, um, whether it's repair. Uh, whether it's reparations, whether I think they're all derivatives of the same meaning. And to me, the term I use is to make right. How do you make right uh, what has happened uh, going back 100 years ago uh, and, and even today? How do we have those discussions and how can we do that uh, in a system that now claims that it is uh, equal uh, under the law, under the Constitution? And now, uh, because of that so-called equality, uh, now direct um, repair cannot be done uh, because that would be unfair uh, to white citizens today. That's what we're facing uh, in America today. And I just <laughs> want to be very open and clear about that. When we talk about 
repair Oklahoma, for example, is one of nine states in the union that uh, repealed affirmative action. So how can you really truly talk about uh, making right uh, uh, wrongs that have been done and then turn around and, and repeal uh, the, a, very, a, a policy, the very policy that could go a long way in addressing the issues? And so, um, again, my, the term I use more than anything is how do we make right uh, when we're talking about a wrong? Well, I, I boiling uh, boiling it down. First of all, let me just say, uh, Councilor Har Hall Harper, I'm so honored to be you know, back in conversation with you today. Um, and I, I love Absolutely. that boiling it down to the basics. I, I think so often we get caught up in the terminology, uh, but it's really basic stuff we're talking about. To make right, I think is is exactly the way to think about it. Um, I, I thought I'd enter you know enter a conversation um, as you know I'm an, I'm not from Tulsa. I'm an outsider. You know doing kind of research um, and looking at Tulsa in the context of a kind of broader national narrative. But I was so struck in, in the research of, um, as, as Councilor Hall Harper said, at the number of times that this is made and then no follow through, right, uh, by the kind of white uh, dominant, you know, leaders in the, in the, in the city uh, or the state. There's a report that makes uh, recommendations, nothing happens. Uh, and I, I thought I'd go back to one, though, that I think is so poignant, and that is a promise made in 1921 by uh, former Tulsa Mayor Loyal Martin, and this is these are like his words at at, at, a, at a meeting just weeks after the the Tulsa race massacre. Um, said the rest of the United States must now know that the real citizenship of Tulsa weeps at this unspeakable crime, and we will make good the damage so far as it can be done to the last. We have neglected our duties, and our city government has fallen down. We have had a failing police protection here, and now we have to pay the cost of it. The city and the county is legally liable for every dollar of damage that has been done. Other cities have had to pay the bill of race riots, and we shall have to so probably because we have neglected our duty as citizens. So it doesn't get much plainer than that, right? If you think about that in the frame of, of to make it right, and that's not right a hundred years ago, um, and and uh, you know not one penny, uh, despite saying. We will pay it to the last penny, um, and still here we said a hundred years later, with not one penny moved. It begins to to have us wonder about you know how it is that you get to even trying to discuss what reparations might look like, which one could imagine would be very contextual. Uh, you know what reparations would look like in Tulsa uh, would be different from someplace else. Um, so you have to have that conversation in a local kind of manner. But if you can't get to the point that we need to have those discussions or that an apology needs to be made that is something more than just, uh, you know, a soundbite or a, a photo op kind of thing, but that a confession like you had from the mayor 100 years ago at the highest level of state of city government, you have that kind of confession like you just read, Dr. Jones, you know, that leads us to a very different place were that to be the starting point. So um, one of the things that had occurred for us as Tulsa Metropolitan Ministry is we began uh, another chapter of an effort that was done uh, around the time that that report was coming out. The original was then called the Tulsa Race Riot Report. Um, 
TMM underwent a, a, a process and at that point called it reparations and uh, raised money and gave direct checks to descendants of um, uh, the survivors, uh, which were much more plentiful at that point than they are now 20 um, more years ago, later. So when we restarted that process and started to think about it, it was part of that was an evolution in the thought of the people at TMM and and in in listening sessions and in talking about the terminology that we used, we changed the name from reparations to the atonement project. Uh, of course, part of that was the feedback from many that a single project from a nonprofit does not qualify as reparations. Um, and that if the single biggest perpetrators, the city and the state, weren't involved at all, that it was equally invalid. Um, so when we changed, we saw a, a term that we could identify uh, what we were intending and being an interfor interfaith organization, we went to a term from faith, from all of our faith traditions, uh, which have something like atonement or how do you um, apologize? How do you make up for wrongs that you have committed? Uh, how do you, counselor, how do you make it right? We don't all call it the same thing in our, in our faith traditions, but uh, the term atonement was there. So that's what we switched to. Mm -hmm. I, I like that term. Um, I like the term uh, from a biblical standpoint. What does atonement mean to cover? Um, and so uh, I, I certainly uh, understand and agree with the argument as well. Uh, if it's just nonprofit, if it's just uh, the faith community, um, it, it, I question uh, if we if it could really truly be called reparations. Um, the reality is, is that those uh, different parts of the community, philanthropic and, and, and uh, the, the uh, faith-based, uh, certainly even when you talk about a massacre of this magnitude, there was benefit to all, right, uh, of society when you're talking about uh, uh, privilege and, 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 and the wealth building that, that came about as a result of that. Uh, but the government locally, county and state, uh, directly are responsible. Um, and so I agree that until they have, um, have, have come to the table uh, in acknowledgement and repair, see, we just want to tend to apologize and then, okay, so we've apologized, let's move on um, and not actually do the work of, of repair or the work of making right, then, you know, because that's how you maintain the status quo. Right. I, I don't want it to get lost that this is not uh, just because, oh, well, it's not fair to have people from 100 years ago. To do. It is we're talking about resources. We're talking about power uh, in America. Power. Money is power. That's a fact. Um, and when you have resources, you can do things <laughs> that you would not be able to do otherwise. And and the reality is, I believe. Uh, why leaders at the city and local level, local the city and state level, uh, who don't want to to make those amends, uh, is because they want the power structure to remain as it is today. And I think when you when you pull all the layers of the onion away, and you when you really boil down to it, I think that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. It's about maintaining uh, the power uh, that now exists. 
not only in, in government, but also even in the philanthropic uh, communities and the corporate communities, uh, most of which have some level of a foundation or something. But again, they wield the power because they determine what's funded, right? Where those resources go, who benefits and who doesn't. And again, from a from a overall uh, community-wide perspective, that's control. That's control. Uh, when you have to, uh, if when your existence, if you will, is dependent upon the goodwill of someone else, then you are you are being controlled. And so I will say, uh, for me, um, if we're talking about making right, it's about control of resources. And and until this, our community, who did control their resources uh, uh, before the massacre and even after. Uh, the massacre in in the the phase of resiliency where Black Wall Street was rebuilt, they owned land, they had economic, social and political power, and that's not what we have today. So to me, if we're talking about uh, reparations, then if it does not result in those things, right, then sure. it's not reparations. So there's your context point, right? Yeah. So that's what it. I mean, I could see elements of that true in lots of places for sure. But what that looks like will look, mm-hmm. you know, in a mm-hmm. specific manner here in Tulsa. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, every community is different. Um, and so what that's why it's so important to have the community conversations. Right. Um, and and to d- develop a plan, if you will, uh, of what that's what that's going to look like uh, in actual application here in Tulsa. And so, you know, that's the work we want to do. So, again, that these are not reparations. Uh, this work, it, it, it is it could ultimately lead to that in the discussion down the line. But right now, uh, we just need to, uh, to hear from experts, right, hear from other communities, hear from people that have done work. And, and believe it or not, there are there are uh, experts that have done reparations work, uh, not only in this country, but outside of this country that uh, we have access to and that we want to engage and bring in so that we can hear. We can hear from those individuals and really understand because to a large degree, we are ignorant. And like I said, that's in my opinion, but that's Vanessa's opinion and Vanessa is no expert <laughs> at all. Um, but, and so we all need to be in that learning, that learning stage of, of what uh, truly reparations looks like, what it is and, and, and what its impact uh, should be to be called a true reparations program. And that's why we wanted to, and I wanna say shout out to uh, Tulsa Metropolitan Ministries um, for for assisting in that. You know, I was able to reach out to you. I heard about some of the work that you were doing and and I I just wanna say publicly that I appreciate you so much for for being a part of it and saying, yes, absolutely. We're gonna, we will help uh, as much as we possibly can. And you did, and you all have done that. And I just wanna say thank you and, and know that and tell you that we appreciate you and your work. That well, thank you. That's very kind of you. And and that where that comes from is part of the same effort. I mean, the discussions that we had that got us from changing from the reparations project to the atonement project mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. got us into that place where we be, could begin to think about learn. Yeah. Um, so, you know, honestly, you brought up the word just a, a little bit ago. But you know, we have two rabbis that sit on our board. So when we when we began to discuss this and look at atonement, they, of course, go right to the text and to the Hebrew, yes. and to the word kafar, 
um, which means to cover over, as you said earlier. But you have to have some unpacking of that because what that, you know, covering over kind of seems like what we've been doing for a long time mm. is let's just cover it over and ignore it. Mm-hmm. And that's not, of course, what that's what is it yes. means to restore, right? right? To get to get back to they go as far as as saying, you know, in, in a traditional sort of Jewish uh, framework mm-hmm. today, um, the whole um, festival of Yom Kippur is about uh, people doing that repentance that you don't get your forgiveness from God until you get forgiveness from the person that you may have you wronged, wronged yeah. uh, at a particular time. So you have to go to them first. Mm-hmm before you get this next step, right? which is another way for us to think about this. It and is. Atonement gives us gives us a foot in the door that says we have to first be seeking something. Correct. Before we can talk about reparations, we have to talk about why we're seeking reparations. Mm-hmm. What's that whole point? Mm-hmm. Restoration. What in part? Yeah. 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 When we, when we yeah. sin, when man, and I don't know, if, if I'm off base, but I, mean, I am a, a, a person of faith. I'm a woman of faith. And so when you we, when you sin, um, you know, we we're taught in Scripture, you, your sin is first to God, but to to man uh, as well. And so um, and, and for God is to, you know, yes, you've sinned against me, but you've also sinned against your fellow man. And so there's there's work to be done, I guess, I think, in both of those. And part of making yeah. right, getting back in line for fellowship with God, you have to also do that work with your fellow man. The cross is this way. Right. One is relationship with God. The other is man. And that's what mm-hmm. makes a cross. Uh, that's what that's what yeah. I've been taught. And, and, and that's what I believe. And so uh, there's 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 work to be done. Um, and I appreciate uh, Tulsa Metropolitan Ministries because you're certainly doing a faith work. But then we have a lot of ground to cover when it comes to the to the man. Boy, we do. To the man work. Boy, we do. So that's that's my next question to you. Is the Beyond Apology is that project designed to be a finish line, or is the hope that that is the beginning of something else? It's just the beginning. It is just the beginning, and we have to see where it takes us. Right? We we don't know. I can't say, oh, boom, this is going to be the end. Boom, boom. We have to see where those conversation takes us. Um, because even in the conversation, there is a huge education piece that has to take place um, with with the community. Um, and again, an, an, an understanding, developing and building that understanding of what true reparations is and what it is not. And that's not to say that certain things that that's not reparations doesn't need to be done. I disagree with that whole, wholeheartedly. Um, I think policies and different things that that on my level of government that, that I have to work towards and work within uh uh, are are it's an important work to uplift and to address issues in our in the community, uh, but does that mean that it's reparations? I don't think so. Um, but again, we have to engage with with experts um, to learn just exactly what that is. To your point in, in the earlier uh, in the introduction, there are communities that have uh, uh, dealt with uh, uh, reparations. And so we have examples in this country. <laughs> we don't even have to go outside of the United States. Uh, although That's there right. are other examples outside of the United States, we don't even have to do that. The United States government has done that. Uh, but when it That's comes right. to Africans in America, there is this, uh, there's this automatic push back to say that we are not worthy, which is why, you know, 
I know a lot of people in this controversial don't don't like to say, you know, for certain people, certain elected officials say black lives matter. That's why black lives don't matter, because we show each and every day in policies and in, in, in any type of uh, issue that 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 we are as an African group at the bottom of the totem pole when we're talking about fairness and equality, et cetera. That that is what that uh, that's the result, as far as I'm concerned, that black lives don't matter in this country. At the end of the day, yeah, or we seem to be happy to lift up those statistics to to talk about that, to even you know have uh, quality indicators reports and do all of that stuff. We don't do the next right. level of that, the the deeper dig, right. which is to say, okay, so how do you get to those numbers? Why mm-hmm. is that the case? And in part, I think it's because the deeper you go into that, the more you have to unpack and reimagine your sort of uh, assertion about how the world is constructed, particularly if you are a white person in America, you have to really think about all of the, the, the narrative that you've been given um, that, that is not the full story yeah. of things. White fragility. And, it it you know, questions your place in society. It's that comfortable history. <laughs> and it's uncomfortable. Right. It's that comfortable history. Yes. And we're seeing it played out right now. We're seeing it played out in a number of ways in which there's all this pushback mm-hmm. against, you know, so-called critical race theory, which is just really a way of saying, don't mess with my narrative. Correct. Um, Let me feel are, good about this myself. This is freedom. <laughs> that's right. This is freedom loving people who just, you know, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and did this work themselves. And, you know, God was with them all the way and divinely inspired all of this stuff, which is that that narrative that drives that conversation. Absolutely. And then that leaves us, I am thinking there's a line that Ta-Nehisi Coates uses. Um, I think it's in his big article on reparations in which he, he you know, a reframing needs to take place. Mm-hmm. He says, when we think of something like this, when we think of white supremacy, we think of colored only signs uh, and we should think of a pirate flag. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's it's Not about like coats. Yeah. it's about the He has a way of putting things the, together. That's right. It's about the theft of yes. resources, land, economics, labor, people yeah. um that create a whole different uh framework. So, um Dr. Jones, I'm curious you had a lot of interest in when you and I had a sit-down meeting uh, uh about that sense of shift on behalf of TMM from reparation language to atonement language. And uh, I invite you to, you know, share what you were curious about or what that evoked in you. Well, you know, I I think the logic behind it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's important to um, be careful about it uh, because as Councilor Hall Harper said, I mean, if we don't be, if we're not careful about it, we place the responsibility in the wrong place, right? I mean, this is clearly a place where, yes, the city, the county, the state, that's where the responsibility sits. I also think this too, that like people that make the argument that this is unfair, um, usually try to think about, they, it's usually a sort of individual white person, right? Making this argument, it's unfair right. to me. Um, but that's the reason why we have corporate entities like cities and counties and states, right? That, that can make, they, you know, these entities exist over time uh, and they, have past responsibilities and can make things right um, uh, in the present as a corporate entity. I, you know, I was struck when I was in when I was there in, in Tulsa a few weeks ago, uh, again by how concrete 
this is in Tulsa, right? I mean, we have names, we have buildings, we have addresses, we have businesses, um, right? I mean, you, you know, there was a kind of effort to put these little bronze plaques in the sidewalk on Archer uh, and Greenwood, where you walk down the sidewalk and you're walking over uh, the address and it says exactly, this was a, you know, a shoe shop, this was a restaurant. And you can see those things on the sidewalk. Um, and it's no mystery, right? Who, where those losses accrued? Like there's big lists of insurance claims and other kinds of things that, as you mm -hmm. said, get dismissed. So, you know, one of the things that people uh, throw up a lot is they wouldn't know who to pay, right? And certainly in Tulsa, that's not the case. I mean, even though there's only a handful of living survivors, there are uh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, descendants of survivors, right? Um, who, whose entire, you know, the chain of uh, family wealth, as you said, got disrupted not once but multiple times. Um, and I, I think, you know, when I when I was there, I was also struck by um, one way you can really see that. That's the problem. Is some these things are sometimes abstract, right, and and less visible. But you know, if you're staying there on on, uh, you know, looking into Greenwood, you know, what you see is this massive concrete testament right to the second wave of destruction and that big massive interstate uh you know highway cutting right through uh the neighborhood that mowed down you know a couple of blocks um like a couple of blocks wide uh you know through uh the neighborhood and and so you could you just it, it's not abstract you're like oh well there it is <laughs> this yeah. thing that sort of yeah. disrupted the neighborhood is right there and it's like 80 feet tall um you know so i anyway so i i think that's one of the reasons i was fascinated is that there is, you know, this much uh, like truth telling, I think, got a lot of truth telling got done. Right. I mean, you'd have to be it's, a, it's now, I think, uh, one achievement is that a kind of extreme, um, you know, not really plausible thing to say this didn't happen in Tulsa. And, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, there were debates over whether this happened or not, even among uh, the head of the Tulsa Historical Society was denying uh, that, mm -hmm. that this happened, you know, th three decades ago. Um but but now I think that debate's not, uh, you know, it's certainly not there. And I think that matters. But yet it's this concrete, this much truth telling. And yet to, to kind of come back to this point, the the real moves to make it right are still hanging out there. Um, yeah. And I'm 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 wondering, you know, I know you're you're early on in research for the next book that's loosely, you know, around on this subject uh, anyway, in this general direction. And I'm wondering if even early on in that research, you're seeing some parallels when you visited different places, um, as well as, you know, what you think about, um, particularly from your perspective in your, in your st past study of white supremacy in a systemic way within churches and, uh, and religious communities, uh, what you think are the big hurdles that need to be overcome that we're really not talking about? Well, I, I'll, just, I'll be brief on this. Um, uh, I, I, I've written two two pieces recently on my Substack uh, newsletter as I'm kind of working on the book. I'm kind of working out ideas on Substack. Uh, it's robertpjones.substack.com. Uh, and one of them I wrote um, on, on, well, basically, I wrote one piece on white discomfort, and I wrote another piece on white innocence. And I really think those are two of the big building blocks that are in the way uh, of progress here, right? That that if white people and white Christians have to insist um, uh, that they can't be uncomfortable, 
right um, in these conversations and that that's or as, as Tulsa's mayor has said uh talking about reparations are divisive right to the if we can't get past that um that's a big barrier and underneath all of that really is this this myth of white innocence and I think in particular in a place like Tulsa I'm from the south it's white Christian innocence right this mm-hmm. idea that we are good people who do good things we couldn't possibly be you know as mixed up in something as awful um, as that, despite the historical, you know, the clear historical record. And I think letting go of this, this sense of, 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 yeah, white innocence or white Christian innocence, um, which by the way, from a Christian point of view is a really bizarre, right. And at the core of Christianity is the idea that we are all sinners, right. Right. Um, and we have all fallen short. Um, so it's a really bizarre, you know, kind of anti-Christian stance to take, but, but nonetheless, it's there. I mean, I think it's it's the animating power behind many of these anti-critical race theory bills and the like, right, that are all about kind of preserving this mythology of white Christian innocence. Uh, because if we fully embrace the truth, um, it's going to mean responsibility, right? Um, right. It's as basic, just as basic as that. Yeah, it's that's the, I mean, that's right on target uh, when you were, when you were away, we were talking about that, uh, Vanessa and I were, and I think it's, it is that like it, you have to control that information. I think that's the drive behind this because you have to control that history. Because if you don't, and the reality is that honestly, any white person with a sliver of compassion in them can't read the unvarnished history of this nation and come away feeling comfortable. Uh, more likely, you would rightly feel um, guilt or shame. Um, now, what you do with that really, really matters. Um, what you, how you contend with that sense of guilt, because you're, you don't stop there. Uh, just having shame and guilt, which is where most people stop, that's not helpful to anybody, including you. So, how do we address those deep scars? How do we push through that? And we have the language within our religious traditions to do this, which doesn't ask you to stop at guilt. It doesn't ask you to stop at shame. In fact, promises you forgiveness and the glory that comes with that. But you have to take those steps. Faith without works is dead. That's, you know, if only that were written down somewhere, that'd be really good. Can I quote you on that? (laughs) I only say what's already been said. (laughs) Yeah. So I think there's a deeper, I mean, we can talk about first confession or, or beyond apology. What's the next step, right? Or we can talk about atonement. We can even talk about reconciliation slash reparations, all of that intertwined kind of thing. I think the, the thing that is apparent to, to lots of us who have tried to confront this and, and deal with this is that there's a deeper sort of transformational thing that rightly ought to come out of this. And that may be very well be also a scary part uh, for people who are dedicated to that status quo. Um, I'll go back to to Ta-Nehisi Coates again in that great piece from The Atlantic, The Case for Reparations, and his quote, um, this one I will actually read, uh, What I'm talking about is more than recompense for past injustices, more than a handout, a payoff, hush money, or a reluctant bribe. What I'm talking about with reparations is a national reckoning that would lead to spiritual renewal, 
Reparations would mean the end of scarfing hot dogs on the 4th of July while denying the facts of our heritage. Reparations would mean the end of yelling patriotism while waving a Confederate flag. Reparations would mean a revolution of the American consciousness, a reconciling of our self-image as the great democratizer with the facts of our history. That's really the deepest thing is that surely reparations go far beyond an economic plan or even a change in social policy. Isn't it ultimately about a more complete transformation? And my, my sort of departing question for each one of you is, is that possible after all of this time? Yeah, you're talking about the, I mean, I'm, I'll say I use the word culture, the, the very culture of, of America, but but it's even deeper than that, based on uh, what the quote that that uh, quotes you the quote that you just read from quotes. Um, wow, that was a mouthful and that's a lot to digest. Uh, but I do. I, I agree, you know, 100 percent to your question. Is it possible? <laughs> Uh, uh, oh, that's a tough question. I will say anything is possible. Let me let me say this. Do I think it would happen in my lifetime? No, I don't think it's something that I will I ever see because um, it, it is such a significant work. And we see now, right, when when things are threatened, uh, when people's positions, uh, to your point, their history and, and what the, who and what they feel about themselves, when that's threatened, you see a side of, of people, you see a side of America comes out, that comes out. Um, and, and, and what we're seeing today, um, I think it's a long way off. I think it's a long way off because you actually are not just, it's one thing to pass a policy and say, or a law or a statute and say, this is the law, you have to comply with it. That doesn't mean you've changed hearts and minds. What Tahinesi Coates just said in that quote, he's talking about changing hearts and minds. And and is it possible? Yes. Yes. As again, as a woman of the faith, that's that's what faith does. That's that's the impact that uh, or at least should be uh, of of the end result of faith. Um, But I think recently uh, we've seen uh, because of certain incidents that happen in society, we've seen true colors of people, of people in power uh, and of society. And I think that. is that possible? Yes, but but is it is it probable? Uh, I would have to say no. I think, uh, and I've said this, and we'll continue to say. I think this is a fight that we will have to fight as long as we are on this earth um, to address these issues, and that's how I feel about it. I'm going to try to do the best I can in 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 my generation during this time that God has allowed me to serve, and and then when I'm gone. <laughs> It's, it's someone else's job, uh, but I think um, it is what it is, the American way. It is what and who America is, uh, and and that's what we're seeing and experiencing and living today. Dr. Jones, well, um, yes, uh, yes to all of that. Um, scourging, I think, uh, when we look at the reality um, and where things stall out um, and then how things backtrack, even when there's, you know, it is often a sort of one step forward, two steps back, um, kind of, I think, to to some of this. Um, I, I am hopeful, um, I guess where I'm, I'm hopeful is that there are 
uh, that, that there may be enough white people and white Christian people in particular um, who will realize what this legacy of white supremacy not only has done to communities, but but has done, and I'll, I'll use the kind of, you know, uh, here, but it's, but it's done to us, right? I mean, James Baldwin, mm-hmm. great African-American writer, you know, said that the white um, movement began when an oppressed and despised people began to wake up to what had happened to them, right? Led them to act. And I, I think that white people in this country have not realized what white supremacy has done to us, the damage it has done to our communities, to our faith, our inability to be really authentically human. Um, you know, and I think if, if we start to wrap our heads around that and, and realize also that, um, you know, it is absolute to defend in a perpetual way the end of it, right? In terms of like insisting on this innocence and history. Um, I just I think this morning, uh, up on, well, I'll read just because it's right on this point. Um, I wrote that I, in, in, the world is certainly watching how the United States navigates this transition in the life of our nation. I'm talking about the demographic shifts in the country. If we white Christians lay aside never-ending efforts to maintain our innocence and prevent honest conversations about our past, we might just experience an, another New Testament promise that the truth will set us free. Well, I can't thank you uh, both enough for your time. Um, this is uh, as we knew it would be at the scratch of a, of the surface, and uh, to to leave us with the notion that, um, which is really I think ultimately a hopeful notion that we are all planting trees under whose shade we will never rest. Um, that that we are doing this work together, uh, work that we will not see, and that is a. Uh, we won't see to completion, and that is uh, really the act of faith, uh, is it not, in the world. So um, thank you for your faithful. I just want to say thank you. Thank you to to you, Reverend Moore. Thank you to uh, you, Dr. Jones, uh, for your work uh, and, and your uh, passion. And, and just uh, it is most basic sense, the, the willingness to do what's right. Um, I think most people know what's right. But are they willing to, to do it is the question. And so I, I appreciate the work that you all have done and will continue to do. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Jones. Appreciate your time. Uh, look Absolutely. forward to working with you all down the road and uh, peace to you both. Intersections is recorded throughout the city of Tulsa, an estate which was once home to the Apache, Arapaho, Caddo, Comanche, Kiowa, Osage, and Wichita tribes. Tulsa now sits on the boundaries of the Muscogee, Cherokee, and Osage nations. Thank you for joining us for Intersections, a production of the Tulsa Metropolitan Ministry. Intersections is produced and edited by Ramp 9 Productions and can be found anywhere you get your podcasts.